This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Good morning, everyone, and welcome into this SEC Morning Report. It is Monday, October 16th, and we are excited to be reacting to another week of SEC football action. Guys, I mean, you know, we're talking about what we learned with all of these teams that played on Saturday, even a couple that didn't play that were on bye week, some things that happened as well. So make sure to like, subscribe, turn on notifications. If you want to partner with a company, a news outlet for SEC that covers SEC football, baseball, basketball every single day, then we are the place to do it. And you can hit up caroline.smith at Southeastern 14 to talk to us about advertising with us and being an MVP for Southeastern 14. But guys, let's go ahead and dive into what we learned about each of these teams. And, you know, we usually go in alphabetical order and we'll continue that this week and talk about Arkansas and Alabama as the two a schools there uh, started to play against one another. Auburn, we'll get to them in a minute. But Arkansas and Alabama, okay, this is a game where Alabama started off hot. They came out. They jumped up, I believe, a 21-6 lead, and it looked like it was going to get ugly. Uh, you know, right around halftime, it looked like, okay, this is this is, thing's going to be over. But I think you've just got to continue to give – this Arkansas team, KJ Jefferson especially, just give them their flowers for how they continue to fight for Sam Pittman. Uh, I know that there's questions about Sam Pittman, and you gotta you gotta win ball games at the end of the day. You don't get any moral victories in the SEC. They're not good enough up front right now. Uh, they continue to not be able to run the football with any kind of consistency. And KJ has to make these superhuman type plays to get their offense, any kind of production, things like that. But my goodness, I just think uh, the way that they they fought and tried to stay in that game defensively, Landon Jackson was incredible. Um, he can he just whipped Caden Proctor most of the day, and then they anybody else they tried to put in front of him as well. Alabama's pass protection uh, continues to have some issues there. Uh, they they gave up five sacks on the day, guys, and that's that's can you know week after week they're giving up four sacks, five sacks. I mean the 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 pass protection is an issue. They run the ball well enough, um, but this is a Alabama offense that just kind of it's not going to be it's not going to be the prettiest in the world, but it's going to get results because they've got talent on the outside. Jalen Milroe gives guys chances to make plays you can say what you want about how yeah there's a couple of throws each game that maybe leave you scratching your head a little bit but he throws for the most part a catchable ball okay the touch is there at times he keeps plays alive there's 
if if Alabama had another quarterback in there, guys that didn't have the athleticism of Jalen Milrow, he would be sacked, you know, six, seven times a game. I'm just telling you. Jalen Milrow does the best job for Alabama of keeping plays alive, still looking, keeping his eyes downfield when he's when he's navigating outside the pocket. And he makes he makes plays in games that that a lot of other guys can't. Um, but he gives his receivers the the ability and the chance to make a play. They drop too many footballs. I mean, different guys at different times dropping footballs for Alabama, and it really against Arkansas kind of became a, a epidemic there for a little while. I mean, four or five drops of footballs that were right in their hands, and Jalen Milrow um, should have had a, a lot better pass uh, completion percentage on the day because he he delivered the football with with confidence and he put it into places where they could make plays. Now. I think that Alabama uh, against a Tennessee defensive front that, that's coming in there is going to have to find a way. I don't know if they're going to have to chip with a tight end off the edge on that left side or if they're going to have to do some max protection type stuff, but active that it's going to make Alabama uh, have to do adjust and do some things different with them coming into town if they want to protect Jalen Milrow because that front is active and that front gets after you. Um, particularly not only rushing the passer, but also in the run game as well. So that's going to be a matchup that we're going to look forward to uh, all week as we continue to, to analyze games looking forward. But looking back, guys, uh, Alabama, like I said, they're okay in the run game. McClellan is is good. I don't think he's a great back by any means. I think he's tough as a pine knot, but I don't think he's an electric player. I'm still confused a little bit why guys like you know, like Jam Miller, like Justice Haynes, uh, aren't getting more carries for that Alabama offense. I think they're more dynamic players. Um, maybe it has to do with the pass protection stuff. Maybe they haven't uh, kind of got the the learning curve yet. But I do know one thing: it's tough sledding if you're going to try to attack that Alabama defense because Alabama in the back end, I think, with Jalen Key kind of coming on now, playing playing some uh, good football in addition to you, what you know you have in Malachi Moore, Caleb Downs, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Terry and Arnold, plus the way the linebackers are playing with, uh, you know, with Deontay Lawson playing, playing great and then what they have on the edges um, with Turner and Braswell. It's a tough Alabama defense, and they don't have to be great on offense guys they need to be efficient uh they, they would probably like to be a little bit better on four, third down than they were this past game only going six of 14 arkansas that was their problem four of 14 on the day on third down if they could have extended a few drives who knows what happens in that game but i think you got to give arkansas credit for continuing to play hard uh, they've lost some really tough games guys here by a close margin i mean you look at this schedule that they've had they lost to lsu Ole Miss and Alabama by less than seven points in a span of four weeks. Uh, just, just tough, a tough deal um, at LSU, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. All those on the road in Texas A&M uh, was a game they just didn't play very well in, and that was a neutral site game. So tough strength to schedule, tough schedule for Sam Pittman. You hate to see it for him. You hope they, they're able to – uh, turn it around and get a couple of W's right there um, because I do think he's a very good fit for the program, but they've got to retool up front, and we'll see. We'll see what happens after the year and how they finish the year. But that is uh, our recap of Alabama and Arkansas. The biggest 
concern for Alabama, I'm telling you, is at left tackle. Caden Proctor gets whipped like patent leather for a dance. I mean, it is it is rough. Landon Jackson took him to school, uh, and I don't know that Elijah Pritchett will be much better. So Alabama's got to figure something out at left tackle. Now let's talk about Auburn. Auburn just is absolutely putrid offensively. Uh, they they run the ball okay, but the RPO system is is, is not is not clicking right now. Peyton Thorne doesn't have any kind of anticipation um, when he when these plays are co- coming open. There's guys, you know, you look in second and long, third and long situation. There are some Auburn receivers coming open, and he just doesn't anticipate them and doesn't get the ball out on time. Um, and when he does get it out on time, these guys can't can't separate very well. There's no dynamic playmakers on the edge. Uh, for Auburn in terms of the perimeter on offense. Now, running the ball, I thought Jeremiah Cobb looked pretty good. Jarquez Hunter is always going to look pretty good. I mean, they do some okay things up front, but in the SEC, you have to have some balance and you have to be able to create some explosive plays down the field. Their predicted points added on a per-play basis, guys, 0.116. I mean, it is absolutely atrocious, or 0.167. Uh, if you if you round up 0.167, guys, the league average on predicted points added, that means based on the result of every individual play, on average, how many points does each play equate to um, based on the yard line, down distance, all that kind of stuff in, in that formula. And the average for the league is almost 0.3. It's 0.299 points. Auburn's is less than half of that at 0.16. I mean, it is... It is really, really rough on the offensive side of the ball. They play hard defensively, but guys, if you can't extend extend drives and you can't get things going, uh, you know, convert on third downs offensively, and your defense just stays out on the field, stays out on the field, especially with all the injuries that Auburn has, you're just not going to have success. And that's the that's the problem with Auburn right now, and and what they have going on. Florida, uh, I would just like to say. You know, I, I apologize to to Graham Mertz. I was not a believer in Graham Mertz. I thought it was going to be uh, a very, very rough year for Florida in terms of the, the quarterback position, and he has more than acquitted himself. He's played very well in some big moments. Uh, played, you know, he plays efficient more than anything. Yes, I see he's putting up some some big numbers, but the biggest thing is is he makes he makes good decisions and he makes plays when they're needed for Florida. So that's a big positive for them because they didn't they didn't run the football well. South Carolina, I thought that uh, South Carolina's defensive front was not very good at stopping the run. I thought that uh, Trevor Etienne, Montreal Johnson could have a have a big day going into that game and they were they were stymied a little bit. They were stifled. They couldn't they couldn't get things going. But Graham Mertz said, don't worry, I'm gonna put the team on my back. 423 passing yards, hit Ricky Pearsall for I believe 165 of those yards. Um and you know, when it comes down to it, Florida uh made enough plays to to win that football game when they were needed. Now defensively, I think Florida has a ton of issues when it comes to fitting the run and their gap integrity and responsibilities because Kentucky eviscerated them on the run and South Carolina who has not run the ball all year looked like they were more than efficient running the football. Mario Anderson took it to them a little bit. I think there are concerns on that defense. If you're Austin Armstrong, um, I think that, you know, other than, you know, if somebody takes away Ricky Pearsall offensively and says, hey, we're going to we're going to make sure that that Ricky Pearsall does not does not beat us here. 
um, then you know you, there could be there could be some problems for Florida offensively as well. The back half of Florida's schedule is really really rough. Uh, I mean, you're talking about now they're going to have to play Georgia, Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, Florida State. What do you guys think that the win loss out of that is? I think if you come out of that. I think if you come out of that two and three, uh, if you injected truth serum into Florida fans, they'd be like, okay, yeah, it's a good year. I mean, they've got five wins right now going into the going into the bye week. And I think when when you look at that, um, you're you're looking at a team that, okay, now, you know, are they gonna be able to are they gonna be able to sustain things going forward? You win, you win three of those games, you get an eight-win season. And I said, if Billy Napier with this team, with the lack of talent on the perimeter, okay, the Graham Mertz situation at quarterback, which he's turned out to be far better, like I said, than anybody thought, I said, and there's tweets out there, people are, are you know retweeting them out, I said, if they win eight games, Billy Napier deserves to be SEC Coach of the Year because he – does not have some of the horses these other guys have. It's going to be very, very tough to get there with that schedule that they have remaining. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how things how things go go from here with Florida. I think just a huge tip of the cap, you know, to to Graham Mertz and the way he's playing. Ricky Pearsall, um, if they can get healthy on the offensive line, they'll be a whole lot whole lot better. I think um, have more consistency in the run game. They struggle when Kinsley Aguacan is not there. For them as he wasn't this past game so um florida uh, kind of a wild card as you go forward what are you going to get out of them uh, got some very tough team tough teams remaining they get a bye week to heal up uh, somebody else that has a bye week is the georgia bulldogs georgia went on the road and played another sloppy game i mean guys they, they start they start slow in in some games that's just how how this georgia team has done it uh but then they'll they'll hit you with a flurry of a flurry of points, a flurry of, of, of big plays, things like that. And um, the mark of a good team, just like with Alabama, is can you find different ways to win football games? And Georgia has shown that. In fact, Georgia has shown that 40 out of the last 41 college football games, they've won. The last 34 regular season games, Georgia has won. Their last 24 games overall, Georgia has won the last back the last two national championships, back-to-back national championships. Georgia has won. So Georgia finds ways to win football games. That's just that's just the fact of it's not a it's not a uh, you know, it's not anything other than a fact of life. Georgia finds ways to win football games. Carson Beck continued to play uh, pretty good, had a couple of drops on the day where he should have probably been 32 of 39 instead of 29 of 39, um, had one interception, a uh, ball was tipped. But the biggest difference with Carson Beck is, I mean, he not only after that ball was intercepted, he sprinted and made a tackle at the one-yard line. That's a different Carson Beck than we've seen in years past where the body language would have been down. He wouldn't have gave max effort chasing that guy. So I think that's a that's a leadership thing. That's how you. That's how you kind of win over. Continue to win over some teammates. Dejan Edwards uh, continues to be maybe the most important player. Uh, you know, 
for Georgia right now, especially with the injury to Brock Bowers because he's just so consistent running the football. You can't rely on Kendall Milton because he, he can't stay healthy. Uh, unfortunately for that young man, he cannot stay healthy. Um, his MC, MCL kind of tightened up on him. Hopefully that the bye week he can get some rest and get full speed full strength uh, for Georgia there because they're going to need all the uh, health and, and stuff like that that they can get after the bye week. Um, I think when you're talking about the Brock Bauer situation, okay, if if he's out for any time, if he has to have something cleaned up in his ankle or if there's some kind of deal where he has a, has to have a procedure and he's out, you know, four, six weeks, some, something along those lines, Georgia still has the weapons to win uh, especially with uh, their defense, when their defense is playing in f- at full full capacity on all cylinders, Georgia has the depth, has the talent to win every game they have in front of them, even without Brock Bowers. Dominic Lovett uh, has not really been, you know, full scale, just totally integrated into into this offense. He's been more of a okay uh, change up type, throw it out on the perimeter thing that thing of that nature. But I think there will be two players. Three really that 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 get a lot more work um, going forward. If you see Brock Bowers miss any time, one Lad McConkey has been just kind of a a pseudo factor to this point because his back has been been bothering him and things like that. I think he's going to be fully healthy, ready to go after this bye week, headed into Florida. Healthy Lad McConkey, that's a big thing. One dominant love it. That's another one. And two, we know what kind of weapon he was at Missouri. Um, we know that that he's been done some some good things for Georgia this year. Uh, nine catches, seventy two yards, and a touchdown for Georgia in this last game. The most production that he's had in terms of the number of catches, targets, things of that nature. I don't think there's any coincidence in that with Brock Bowers being out. And then Oscar Delp. I'm gonna that third one. I'm gonna make kind of a combo between Oscar Delp and Lawson Lucky. Oscar Delp guys is a tight end that would start at any any school in the country, in my opinion, at, at tight end. If he's not the starter, he's he's the guy coming in when you go 12 personnel. He's the 1B to whoever the 1A is because Oscar Delp is, was an All-American player uh, coming out of high school. He's, he's just big, talented, physical, getting better at the run-blocking game, um, can do a lot of the same stuff in terms of uh, route running, uh, and and the the catching ability, he's not as good after the catch as, as Brock Bowers, but who is? I mean, that is, you know, losing Brock Bowers if they do for any amount of time would be a huge blow in terms of I think he's the best player in all of college football. But Georgia is not without weapons that they can spread the ball around to. Dominant Lovett, Lad, Mc, Lad McConkey, Oscar Delp, Lawson Lucky, who was uh, heavily recruited. Um, you know, tied in as well that, that, that turned some head in the spring. Ra Ra Thomas is still kind of, you know, getting involved in this pro style system here for Georgia. Dylan Bell is another name. Marcus Rosemary Jackson. I mean, they, they've got a ton of guys. And if Arian Smith ever decides to catch a football right now, his confidence is kind of shot a little bit. Then they'll have an opportunity to, you know, continue to spread the ball around Carson Beckwell and to get continue to be um, very productive offensively. It'll change the look of things maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit less 12 personnel at times, things like that. But, you know, I think Georgia's still got plenty of weapons, and we'll see what happens probably later this week. Um, we'll see, you know, a final deal on Brock and what's going on over there defensively. I think, I think Georgia's going to be absolutely fine. They had one really busted 
uh, coverage, uh, poor communication on a thing. Vanderbilt was trying to focus on getting the ball out quick, not allowing that pass rush to be a factor, um, which was smart on Vanderbilt's part. Um, but, you know, on the back end, guys, I think Georgia's uh, playing playing pretty well. Other than that, that miscommunication, their safety room is as good as anybody in the, in the country, especially when Dan Jackson is, is uh, available back there to give even more depth. He got sick before the game, wasn't able to play. Maybe at some point this year they get Tyron Ingram Dawkins back up front and provide some more depth up front. But, guys, this Georgia defense, I think, like I said, until somebody beats Georgia, you just have to say Georgia's the best team in the country until someone beats them. I, I think that that's, that's, the way, that's the way it goes because when you're talking about a team that finds different ways to win ball games, that's them. They've had slow starts. They've come back and won. They've, they've looked dominant at, at, at times and, and been able to you know, do it on, with defense. They've done it with offense. So I'm not worried about Georgia at all. I think they'll, they'll uh, get healthy over this bye week and uh, kind of bounce back right into things. All right, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky started off fast, but guys – if you're the Kentucky Wildcats, you have to be just devastated with the level of quarterback play you're getting by Devin Leary. A total kind of bait-and-switch deal. They were in it for both Graham Mertz and Devin Leary um, this offseason in terms of guys that they could, you know, they could have gotten. And I just don't think that it ended up making the right decision. And it's not, it's not one that that you would it's not one that you would say, hey, that, that was an obvious deal because Devin Leary was fantastic at NC State. He really was. Um, but he has not been this year. And when he does make good throws, his wide receivers have let him down. We talked all offseason about how Dane Key, Tavion Robinson, Barry and Brown, um, Anthony Brown, all these guys were going to be big-time targets for Kentucky and make big plays and all that kind of stuff, and they just haven't. They haven't, guys. There's not been enough to compliment Ray Davis uh, at times. That defense, um, you know, gave up some big plays to, to Missouri. Now, Missouri is ninth in the country, guys, in terms of uh, passes of 20 yards or more on the year. So it's not it's not like it's a shocking thing that you're going to give up some, some big plays uh, to Missouri, but they couldn't get stops when they needed to. Um, and I think that, that Kentucky – it's a disappointment, guys. It's just a that's a disappointment because that's a Kentucky team that I think uh, you know expects more out of themselves. They expect more discipline than that, and they they were not disciplined. Um, you know, continue to have dumb penalties, uh, continue to hurt hurt themselves a little bit. Uh, and like I said, Devin Leary, two turnovers on the day, couldn't couldn't you know couldn't kind of pull things out of the fire when they needed him to. Uh, so that's just really rough. Five of 12 on third down. Uh, you know, they could, like I said, they couldn't get off the field enough against Missouri. Missouri was six of 14 on third down and one of one on fourth down and had 68 total plays. Anytime you give 68 total plays to a, a talented team like Missouri, that's got all those weapons offensively, you're going to uh, give up some big plays. But, you know, it wasn't like a stellar offensive performance for Missouri. I mean, 324 yards total. Uh, they threw an interception on the day. But ultimately, when you lose the turnover battle uh, and you're not able to extend drives uh, in Kentucky, that's what happens. And that's why they lost this football game. So uh, you, you hate to see it for uh, for this, this Mark Stoops squad. I mean, their squad I was very, very high on. Um, and I think they've, they've – 
vastly underperformed and, and underachieved in terms of what they had an opportunity to do this year. Now, uh, going forward, Kentucky, they, they've got a bye week before they play Tennessee uh, at home. Uh, so they will get another chance to bounce back at Kroger Field there. Um, Mississippi State before they play Alabama and then end the year with South Carolina and Louisville. And that Louisville game looks a lot harder now, even though Louisville lost on uh, a a game to Pitt that they shouldn't have lost. They've also won some some good games this year as well. So not an easy back end of the schedule for Kentucky. Now, let's talk a little bit about Mississippi State. Uh, they were on a bye week. Guys, you know, when you're talking about Mississippi State, the biggest question of them is, Will Rogers going to be healthy? Is Woody Marks going to be healthy? Is Justin Robinson going to be healthy when they go to Arkansas? Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And also cleaning things up on the defensive side of the ball, guys. They've just not been not been good enough, not been the, the type of defensive team that you would think they would be under Zach Arnett. So uh, are they able to get some of the those things cleaned up and get some guys healthy in the bye week? That's what you learned this week about Mississippi State. About those Missouri Tigers, let's talk about them that we just talked about with Kentucky. Uh, Brady Cook continues to find ways to – to play really well uh, in football games. He didn't start off the, the hottest in the world. This isn't the the most um, most dynamic performance that he's had, and, and especially statistically. But when you look at it, that fake punt that they executed by Luke Bauer really, really uh, you know picked up a lot of momentum for them. Uh, Cody Schrader continues to be tough. Again, nothing was elite for Missouri, but they just find ways to win football games. They find ways to create turnovers. They capitalize off of those turnovers. Um, Luther Burden went down, and they showed the depth that they have by Theo Weese and, and uh, you know, Mookie Cooper, Marquise Johnson, Brett Norfleet, all these guys stepping up, making plays for Missouri, uh, and I, I, that was encouraging to see. You hope Luther Burden, um, whatever that injury was, it doesn't become something nagging and make sure that he's, you know, not – and the effects of that long term, um, they do get a bye week after South Carolina. So let's see what uh, Eli Drinkwitz has to say in press conferences this week. But it's just a Missouri team that, like I said, good teams fight, can win games in different ways. And Missouri is proven to us that they are a good team. They've won some games very low scoring. They've won some games where they've had to be shootouts and put up a lot of points. So I think it shows a maturity level out of not only the Missouri players, but also out of Eli Drinkwitz. I think him turning the reins over offensively to Kirby Moore uh, was a huge decision this offseason. I think it has really helped spring this this program forward and given Eli Drinkwitz more time to be a CEO of this program, worry about things with recruiting, uh, NIL, boosters, uh, just time time management, logistics of this program. And I think you're starting to see the ripple effects of that. Plus, they've got some, like I said, some talented playmakers, and they're playing, playing very well. Uh, a couple of key decisions in that LSU game and, and you know, a couple of mistakes they get back, they could easily be undefeated right now. So Missouri is a legit team. Missouri has an opportunity to beat a South Carolina team at home this weekend and be, what, 7-1 and one, uh, going into the bye week. They're 6-1 and one right now. They could be 7-1 and one going into a bye week that they would get before playing Georgia in Athens. Uh, so – 
pretty much everything going Missouri's way right now. And you really got to uh, tip your cap to Eli Drinkwitz and company and how they're going about their business. Old Miss, uh, even though Old Miss was on a bye, they s- sustained a key injury in Jordan Watkins, the receiver, a hand injury that's going to keep him out for some time. Um, so now the question is who steps up across from Trey Harris over there? Trey Harris, Caden Prescorn are kind of, you know, guys that they've been battling some injury stuff themselves. Now they're getting healthy and you lose Jordan Watkins, who's been Mr. Consistency, 36 catches, 536 yards, a couple of touchdowns on the year, really kind of a security blanket at times for Jackson Dart. Uh, and now they've got to go on the road, guys. Uh, Ole Miss does. Um, in this game that they're going to play this week at uh, at Auburn. So can they, you know, find someone against a pretty good Auburn defense that is going to step up across from Trey Harris? Is that Zachary Franklin, the UTSA transfer? Does he finally kind of break out and do some stuff here? Is that Aiden Williams, a young young receiver that with a ton of talent that they're um, expecting a lot out of? So we'll see who steps up in this game for Ole Miss uh, across from them in terms of the the receiving side as a, another threat at a wide receiver beside Trey Harris. Quinshaw Junkins uh, uh, was starting to run the ball a little bit better before the bye week, so we'll see if they can get the offensive line uh, going there. You know, they, they've, they've done some – things a little bit different schematically than they than they did early on last year so are they going to get back to being able to uh get him get him going and they started to started to get that that momentum going a little bit Ulysses Bentley's played really well so I'm excited to see what Ole Miss looks like coming out of this bye week Ole Miss has got a real uh you know opportunity I think to reel off three wins here with at Auburn Vanderbilt Texas A&M I think they can win all of those games, I think they obviously then they go to Georgia. That'll be a tough one. And then ULM and Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl. Um, I think they have a real opportunity to go five and one there in this back half of the season. Uh, and that would be that would be a huge deal. Huge deal for them. Uh they're 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 five and one right now. I mean, you could easily see, I think, a 10 win season coming here for Ole Miss with the way they're playing right now, especially uh, they get a couple guys healthy. They start running the football a little bit better like Lane Kiffin wants to, and it's going to be an exciting time for the people in Oxford over there. South Carolina. Man, let's talk about South Carolina. Let's talk about Shane Beamer, shall we? Uh, Shane Beamer comes to the microphone, one very similar to this, a microphone, uh, and he comes to it after the letdown loss where they jumped out big on Florida, couldn't execute on third and fourth down defensively, missed a bunch of open field tackles, um, all the kind of things that that you do if you're really an undisciplined team. And then what Shane Beamer does is he takes, you know, if you go into your laundry room right now, you're probably going to see a bin, right, that you throw the clothes in when you are done wearing them. They need to be washed, right? And we call that your dirty laundry. And what Shane Beamer does, he comes and he basically took that hamper of dirty laundry and poured it out on the table for reporters and God and everybody to see and started talking about, hey, me and my coaches, basically this was the effect of it, the way it came across. Me and my coaches called the perfect calls on these plays versus what Florida was doing 
and our players decided not to do what we told them to do. That is what he said. He said, we called pressures. We didn't run the pressures. We called a corner blitz. They got stopped. He didn't run run it the way we were supposed to. He went on a litany of list of things that South Carolina players were instructed to do but did not do. So what does this say? Then he, then he just very at the very end throws in, but me and my coaches got to do a better job of getting them to do what they're doing. That's just kind of him having something to refer back to. But he said the quiet part out loud. And I think if you're going to want your players to play for you, you can never, ever throw them under the bus like that in public. You can't do it. Unless they do something that's like a penalty, like a, you know, some of Mark Stoops players here recently where it's, you know, just dumb, personal fouls, selfish type stuff, then that that is what it is. But if it's a scheme thing or not able to uh, adjust thing or maybe it was confusion that Florida starts off in this formation and, and you know, motions and, and, you know, the call changes and somebody doesn't get it, somebody does, stuff like that, then you have to take all of that as the coach. You have to t- absorb every single bit of that, and he did not do that. And I think it is unbecoming of an SEC head coach. I think it shows immaturity that there's always finger pointing in South Carolina. I think that that Shane Beamer's way of of going about his leadership is a big reason that South Carolina will never be successful during his tenure. Not truly successful. They'll win a couple of games that they're not supposed to win. But South Carolina is not uh, where they need to be in year three of this Shane Beamer program to be considered going in the right direction in my part. I think this is a highly disappointing year in terms of how they've played along both of the lines of scrimmage. I know they don't have any talent, but on the on the lines of scrimmage, maybe Tonka Hemingway on the defensive side. But a lot of your players have left via the transfer portal. You haven't replaced them well. You know, I know you're saying that Shane Beamer recruits well, um, but how, how many of those recruits are actually going to come uh, if you continue to – look embarrassing on on Saturdays. Spencer Rattler's playing his guts out. I mean, he does everything you can ask a guy to do. Um, he's a guy, another guy that I didn't I didn't think uh, because of what this South Carolina program was, I didn't think he'd have a whole lot of success, but he has put the team on his back, and he's done, done a great job. I mean, he continues to make plays. Xavier Leggett plays great, uh, you know, tries to, tries to do – a ton for this team, especially with Juice, Juice Wells out. They're doing everything you could ask them to do offensively. I think Dow Loggins is is doing a pretty good job. Um, but Clayton White and that defense, way too many missed tackles, uh, way too many busted coverages. Um, the inability to get off the field on third and fourth down is, is, is glaring for South Carolina. Um, and, if, and if Shane Beamer says what he says is true, and his players are outright just not doing what they tell them to do, then here's the thing. I was told when I was a, a coach that if your players make a mistake or if your players are doing something wrong, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it. So which is it, Shane? Which, what are you doing there in South Carolina? So I, don't, I, just, I just don't believe in, this, in that program right now. I don't believe um, in the way they're going about doing things, and I definitely had an issue with how – uh, the the post game press conference with and I think some of those players probably will as well. Now let's talk about Tennessee. 
Tennessee and Joe Milton. Okay. Then what we learned here is that Joe Milton is who we kind of all thought he was before the season an inaccurate quarterback that doesn't have the capability of just making, making routine plays at times that need to be made. Uh, Joe, Joe is not, not playing at a high enough level, not anticipating uh, throws well enough. Uh, I think he got a little happy feet sometimes, took off and run, ran a little bit early. And quite honestly, that needs to be a bigger ele- element of his game going forward because he's not, he's not seeing the field well. He's not delivering the ball with confidence uh, a lot of the times. And when he does, you know, he did see a, a wide open Ramel Keaton. Ramel Keaton dropped the ball. So uh, much like with Kentucky's passing game, when the quarterback does it right, the receivers do it wrong. So I think that is a uh, it's perplexing for Tennessee, who was so good through there last year. Obviously, with Hendon Hooker, Jalen Jalen Hyatt, and Cedric Tillman, I don't think people realize just how big of a blow that was going to be. But we did here at Southeastern fourteen and told you that it was going to be uh, a rough sledding in terms of Tennessee in the passing game. I think you got to give a ton of credit to that offensive line, uh, Cooper Mays, all those guys up front, and how they. We're able to run the football against a very good Texas A&M front. Now, it helped them that Edron Cooper exited that game with an injury. Walter Nolan exited that game with an injury. So they weren't you know, necessarily playing a, a, a full complement of the Texas A&M uh, run defense over there. But, you know, Tennessee has become a team that is going to win by running the football and playing good defense. That is that is what they're gonna that's what they're gonna have to do to win football games. Now, they have to go third Saturday in Alabama. It, uh, third Saturday in October, they got to go to Alabama. Uh, they got to go on the road to Kentucky. After that, Kentucky obviously has not been playing well, but it's always it's always tough to win on the road in the SEC. And they got back to back games that are going to be physical. There, you can say what you want about Kentucky right now, but playing a Kentucky team after you've played an Alabama team, that's a physical contest. Then you have UConn at home, which should be, you know, easy enough. And then you have to go on the road to Missouri. So in three in four weeks, these next they have three road games in four weeks that are going to be physical, that they know that they're going to have played uh, a really tough football game. The Texas AM game was physical. So I'm I'm be interested to see uh, how they are, yeah, what Josh Heupel says about some injuries and people banged up and stuff like that when he has his press conference today, um, but just physical football games. Joe Milton's going to have to be better uh, if they want a chance to do do the things that they want to do in the back half of this schedule uh, against Alabama, against Georgia, against Missouri for that matter. Um, on the road at Missouri, not going to be easy at all uh, the week before they play Georgia on November 11th. So I think in order to be better, they're going to have to better have to have more balance. Joe Milton is going to have to just make the routine throws, which he has not done at times. Um, and I think they're also going to have to start using Joe Milton's legs more, uh, whether that's option, um, whether that's design quarterback runs, things like that. I think that's a key for them. But they're playing really, really good defensively, creating a lot of havoc, uh, whether it's you know, Pierce, Beasley, um, Barron. I mean, these guys get after you a lot, and I think you you have to you have to give them a lot of credit for the way that Josh Heupel's kind of seeing what the identity of his football team is and starting to play that way a little bit. So, credit to Tennessee in terms of in terms of that. Now, let's look at Texas A and M. If you're Texas A and M, 
I think you just have to be extremely frustrated because that is a game that you had every opportunity to win. Yes, it was on the road. Yes, it's tough to win on the road in the SEC, but there was opportunity after opportunity for Max Johnson and that offense to make its way down the field because, listen, their defense was doing a good enough job to know that that Tennessee wasn't going to just go down and put points on the board. I mean, it just wasn't going wasn't gonna to happen. And they, they could not – uh, Pia drop late in that game, sixteen to thirty-four. Uh, not gonna, not gonna cut it for Max Johnson. He he was careless with the ball at times. Threw two picks. Uh, just looks ugly sometimes. Doesn't step into throws. Um, his mechanics are an issue. So I think that's a that's a problem there. They couldn't run the ball uh, well enough. Only fifty-four yards rushing on the day. When you account for uh, you know take the 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 sacks, you know come off of that total as well but even with the sacks taken off it wasn't over 100 yards rushing so i mean it's tough tough deal for tough way to win if you're uh texas a&m only five of 15 on third down they were oh of two on fourth down um and and here's the thing guys i said it coming into the game last game okay texas a&m against alabama only got evan stewart and Anais Smith, seven touches. I said, hey, that is a dereliction of duty. That is malpractice. If you are a head coach or offensive coordinator, you have to get your best players' touches. Guess how many Evan Stewart and Anais Smith had in this game? They had a total of five. Anais Smith had one catch for 20 yards. And a lot of that was because they were trying to drop back and let stuff develop down the field. You need to get the ball out of Max Johnson's hands as quickly as possible, do some now screens, get the guys on going on jet sweeps, doing whatever you do, line and I Smith up in the backfield if you have to. I have no idea uh, whose idea it was not to say, hey, let's force feed the ball to the two guys that can make plays for us and be dynamic but my goodness what are you doing offensively it was ugly uh it was atrocious that offensive line got whooped at times by tennessee's defensive front and here we are however many years into the the jimbo fisher era and everybody's still asking hey how big is that buyout now um because Guys, it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. Now, I know with Connor Wigman, it may be a different story for this Texas A&M team, but they do not coach in a way that is good enough. You have to find ways to design plays to get the ball in Evan Stewart and I Smith's hands. Period. Period. I bet you Evan, Evan Stewart will not be at Texas A&M next year. He's going to hit the portal. No doubt about it in my mind. You've got to find ways to get him the football. Uh, just... I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous, not ridiculous play design, not being good enough up front uh, at this point in the Jimbo Fisher era, not not good enough at this point. I know Le'Veon Le Moss tries to run hard, but why are you not, you know, just, you know, force feeding the ball to, to Ruben Owens as well? I know he got five carries on the day, but heck, you know, he needs to be playing and touching the ball a lot as well. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of disgusting on the on the offensive side of things. I think Texas A&M's defense, especially with the injuries to uh, Edger and Cooper, um, and especially with the uh, the injury to Walter Nolan, I thought they played tough. Thought they played hard. The secondary played a little bit better. A lot of that had to do with how bad uh, Joe Milton was. But there it is. Uh, there it is out of Texas A&M. It's just the question is: Is it ever going to be good enough? Is it ever going to change? 
uh, with Jimbo Fisher as the head coach. I guess we'll see. Vanderbilt, you got to give them credit for a lot of their game plan. They got the ball out quick, made some plays with their receivers, um, thought that Taylor on defense played extremely hard. Um, Zach Taylor, so, hey, you, kudos to Clark Lee and company for designing a good game plan, coming up with um, you know ways to be creative, uh, but that just not – not enough talent there in the end. Uh, the NIL situation, you know, is not not great uh, for Vanderbilt. Of course, the academic standards are kind of prohibitive when you're talking about transfer portal, stuff like that. So I just do not know how Clark Lee is ever going to acquire enough talent to be in the position he needs to be. But I thought Ken Seals, you got to give him credit. I thought Ken Seals played pretty well. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe they'll find a way with Auburn and South Carolina later this year to, to get a victory. Um, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they can go on the road in Columbia and, and find a way to win, or maybe they can win at home against Auburn. Uh, that, that environment is not a great environment for football. I think it kind of puts everybody to sleep a little bit with that construction stuff going on there. So who knows, guys? Uh, who knows with Vanderbilt? It's, you got to find a way to acquire talent, and I'm not sure that, it's not on Clark Lee. I think it's more of an administrative type thing and, and uh, just an institutional thing that it's going to be hard to do so. Guys, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this this show, this Reaction Monday show, what we've learned about each SEC team uh, after week seven. So thank you so much for tuning in. Hit that like button if you haven't already. Subscribe. Turn on notifications. Um, we'll go live. we have a live show every day. Uh, with Chris Lee, Blake Lovell, Gavin Schoenwald, and then also um, Noshawn Marino and myself. Yes, that SEC legend, Noshawn Marino, myself, Tavares King, uh, also an SEC legend in my opinion, all go live on Wednesday nights at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, so you want to catch that. Uh, Jake Crane on on Fridays with us with Jake's Takes. Uh, Brian Edwards giving betting picks. So there's so much content here during football season. Basketball is about to get cranked up. Blake Lovell, Chris Lee, they'll have you covered on that. So like I said, if you want daily SEC coverage, this is the place for it. If you want to advertise with a company that, and, and appeal to that SEC fan base, then this is the place to do it. We're growing like crazy. The subscribers are going up by the day, and that's a lot. Thank you to you guys. So be an MVP of Southeastern 14 and advertise with us. You can reach out to caroline.smith at Southeastern 14. For everyone at Southeastern 14, I'm Blaine Gilmer. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next time to talk more SEC football right here on your place for daily coverage, Southeastern 14. When your celebration of life is prepaid in advance, it becomes a gift from you to your family later because no one should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. Paying in advance protects your loved ones and gives you the peace of mind you deserve. Let us help you plan every detail with professionalism and compassion. We're your local Dignity Memorial provider. Find us at DignityMemorial.com.